That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Thanks for coming, Mike. Nancy. Yeah, man. How are you? Good. Yeah. Pretty awesome day yesterday, right? I mean, I know it's on the podcast we did yesterday, but it's still cool. It's epic, man. Having Hoist Gracie come. I mean, Hoist is like a childhood hero of mine growing up watching those videos, UFC, first UFCs, and then being able to like bullshit with them and be on the mats with them and eat then have food. A, eat food with them. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty rad. Still thinking about it. Um, but the subject of this podcast is you. So we met. Eight months ago, ten months ago, yeah, about something that. like that, and came from similar places and whatnot. And then we've spent a reasonable amount of time together um, in Panama and Salt Lake, and mm-hmm. just fucking off or whatever. Ketamine, yeah. We might have to take that part out. <laughs> just, I mean, we watch people. We do. We can't be one. <laughs> 100% honest. <laughs> For the record, you didn't do any ketamine. It's entertaining to watch yeah. all the things. Yeah. Um, but you have a super epic story. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do I? I think it's awesome. You think it is? Okay. Well, from Some, when you were a kiddo. Sometimes I feel when I tell my life story, I feel like it's uh, one of those like, I don't, I don't want it to seem like a bitching story or like, oh, I come from like a weird troubled past. Like, I don't want it to come off that way. So like when I do tell my story, it's like, I'm just telling it from my memory. Right. And I don't want it to be like, look at me. I had this weird childhood and you know what I mean? It's not one of those deals. Okay. It's awesome. Like somebody that's super accomplished in the military, let's say that has just like the gnarliest resume. I got a guy from Ranger Battalion that it was in all the, like, like the right spot for all the firefights. And if he Mm -hmm. told you that you'd go, (laughs) you trying to get laid. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't come off at all like that because you're like, yeah, well, the first time you mentioned like, well, you know, my dad was running blah, blah, and I don't want to fill in the gaps. I'll let you do that. Yeah. I was intrigued and it felt more like a humble, you know, account. Okay. Of that's, some- how, that's how I'd like to, for it to come off. Like, I don't want it to be like, a bra- it's not a braggadocious type of thing. It's not like, it just... Just so happens I was raised by drug smugglers. <laughs> you know. Take a note. There's a title <laughs> right there. So that's just uh that's just how it is when you're you're I don't know what it was in the eighties, one in uh you know, one in uh five probably your parents ran drugs back in the eighties in Miami. It was Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the thing. Yeah. When you grow up in the in Miami in the eighties, uh you have a high percentage of uh being around drugs and are there so, like support groups? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> There's probably like uh, Al-Anon meetings and yeah, yeah. for like kids in the age growing up. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> well, dude, hit it up. Where would you like to start? We kind of went backwards. I feel like on yours, but I like you know you want to do chronological, whatever you think. Yeah, we read. Quentin Tarantino. This shit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'll just start. You know, I was uh, born in '83, Miami. Um. You know, uh, didn't know that I had a unique childhood or crazy childhood, whatever you want to call it. But my dad, uh, you know, he had a crazy childhood. He was, he, he was, he grew up in Miami. Uh, his mother, my grandmother was a playboy bunny and a police officer at the same time. 
So that's why I love it so yeah, much. Like great. so random. Like, wait, can you do that? Yeah. Well, yeah so 80s. they had they had a Playboy. Uh, I think it was, I don't know what it was called, but it was like a bunny house or something. It was a club yeah. in Miami at the time. And she mm-hmm. was one of the bunnies there. Yeah. So she, she's like, I don't know if she's like work nights, moonlighting this and doing that, but I don't know how it worked, but she did both. I have like pictures of her in both uniforms. Yeah, I think it's called the bunny hole. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure someone called it that. Yeah. Bunny hole or bunny den. That's where, that's where bunnies live, right? Dens. Uh, yeah. 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 They yeah. definitely do. Uh, and my grandfather, his father was a bookie. So I don't know how you can imagine living in that household with a police officer, mother and a bookie father, mm-hmm. uh, very chaotic, uh, to say the least, you know, um, he, he grew up like a, like a, a feral child that would, that. you know, just on his own. He, he dropped out of school at eighth grade and, uh, started hustling, you know, making money, breaking windows, working for a window factory or whatever, you know, <laughs> type of shit. You, know? you got a crack in your, yeah. <laughs> hey, you need windows. It looks like I know a guy. Um, and so I think when he was around 18, 17, 18, he started, uh, you know, he was always in the boats. So he, he was like, well, I know a way we can get from the Caribbean and, and all those places down, down South and get it to Miami. Mm-hmm. So he had a fleet he built a fleet of, uh, scarabs, which are like cigarette boats. Okay. And he's a pretty skilled carpenter, uh, welder, all that stuff. Oh, so built, built, well, he got the scarab boats, yep. which are like long, skinny race boats. Yep. Hauled out, you know, uh, just tunneled out the halls, built big cargo spaces for drugs mm-hmm. and put like four engines on the back of these things. And he had the fastest boats in the water. That's so fucking cool. So fast and so confident that he would get on the CB radios and talk shit in Spanish to the the Cuban Coast Guard and egg them on, and he would outrun their boats. Well, and back then they weren't, it's not like they were running ISR. No. So there was nothing. No, no, no. Did they even have helicopters and shit? I mean, maybe. Uh, I'm sure they had helicopters, but I don't know, like, if they had, like, airspace, you know. Either way, he had all the gas and all the engines, and they weren't catching them. Yeah, it's so, it's the motorcycle of car chases these exactly. days. Cops are like, fuck it. Yeah, not exactly. gonna not gonna work. So um he, you know, while he was doing that, met my mom. My mom hitchhiked from Delaware down in Miami. He he met her hitchhiking. She was, you know, hippie chick, uh, trying to get away from Delaware. It's a wretched place to live. And uh they met and I think uh three, four months later they got married. That's rad. And so they, my, I guess she was, you know, she was in love with that lifestyle. Lots of money, lots of boats, lots of trucks, lots of cars. Crazy lots, shit. Yeah. Just a crazy lifestyle. They had condos on in South Beach and houses all over Miami and uh, Rolex watches and gold chains. My dad, you know, six, five curly hair. I have straight hair. He has curly hair. So he's got like this big Jufro. Yeah. Gold Rolex, gold chains. Uh, aviators, fuck like, yeah, full on. What's the chest hair situation? Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of just, just full pu- puff, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like an IED of hair. Blowing what, about, out of the- what were we talking about yesterday about like trimming the lower half and yeah. just yeah, you like, fade it up, you f- <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's all it's all it's all <laughs> shaved down low and then you just fade it to a nice fluff up top. Yeah, can, can you start my fade right about rib cage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, if you can picture this guy, he's got you know a Colorful, colorful uh, Miami Vice button-ups, you know, gold everywhere, 
uh, aviators and, and a fro, you know, and he's just, yeah, that's awesome. Early twenties, um, boxes of money. And, uh, so that's where I come into uh, the picture. 83, 83, um, what I read once is 1983 was the most dangerous place in the world to live because of all the homicides. Miami. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Colombian cartel came in and they basically were getting rid of all the uh, competition and my dad was, was competition. So they come in and if you watch uh, cocaine cowboys or those mm-hmm. documentaries, you'll see how they came in and just started, uh, you know, spraying and praying and just killing like, you know, 10 people at the mall here and 20 people over here. They didn't care about in the States. Oh, this is Miami all over Miami. I didn't know. I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know, experienced on the cocaine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you watch cocaine Cowboys, it kind of goes into all that. And, and they would, they didn't care about, they had, they had a mark to kill one guy mm-hmm. and they would kill everybody around. They just didn't care. Right. And they just wanted to get rid of that, that competition or whoever it was. Right. So now just, okay. Layman human doesn't understand it. The cartel is, I, I guess I thought they would, they would control like the South American piece. So there's some sort of drug. Deal. Don't ask me. I don't, not like a professional. Well, I guess the, this stuff. the thing that I don't understand is if I've got a drug dealer who's down there, if the cartel just controlled that, as opposed to somebody coming down from Miami to do it, I don't know. It, mm. I guess there's some, there's a layer in there. That yeah, I don't I think, get. I don't know how it worked back then, but I think they were very uh, much wanting it to be inclusive to the Colombians. Mm-hmm. And any money that someone else was making was money out of their pocket. Yeah. I think that's how they looked at it. Again, I'm not a historian when it comes to this stuff. I just, what, this is what I'm told. This is what I kind of see. It's called a cocaineologist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which I strive to be one day. <laughs> I'm going to school. It's night school. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you get it done is college. Yep. So yeah, uh, really crazy place to grow up. Um, so I think I was one or two when our house got, uh, I think it was drive by or something and we got shot up. Our whole house got filled with bullets and my mom was, that was pretty much the, you know, a breaking point for my mom. And she was like, all right, we got to move. And so we moved up the coast up to uh, Jensen beach, which is North of West Palm, mm-hmm. real nice little surf town, fishing town. And, um, uh, from there, uh, I think when my dad left that lifestyle, it was, it was just, he, you know, I guess that one rule when you're a drug smuggler is don't get high on your own supply. Mm-hmm. And I think he broke that, you know, many times over and he became really bad involved in drugs and in and out of jail. Uh, I, you know, there's months where I didn't see my dad. I didn't see, uh, my mom was gone too sometimes. So we moved a lot. We were, we went from like, balling out of control in Miami <laughs> to like now struggling and yeah. evicted every year. Um, I moved 18 times. I counted it 18 times before I was 16. And as a kid, and just trying to pull on a little bit of that, you got into like the surfing and fishing. Like that was your yeah. jam. Yeah. That was, that just, was my outlet. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, I'm now like super into martial arts, but, uh, back then it was like surfing, fishing. It was like being on the ocean was my outlet, like diving, free diving, scuba diving. Um, but that's all everybody did in, in Florida. Like if you're not on the water, like, I don't know what the fuck else to do. You, but you, you have a knack for it. So we're in Panama and yeah, you're yeah. the only dude and we're doing that stupid voice. Like, Hey, Hey daddy, where's the sweet tea? And you're just pedaling around like, got another one. Yeah. Looks like I'm awesome again. <laughs> I mean, Some of those I, videos I think, are great. I think if you like, you grew up, uh, riding Bronx, right? Yeah. Well, horses. Yeah. Horses. You're just good. That's like something you just feel like that's your element, right? Yeah. You don't, there's nothing about it that 
you don't understand or, you know what I mean? So that's how it is for me in the ocean. Like I'm really connected with it. I've, I've man of fishing since I can hold a pole, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like that, that, that's like my happy place or like that place where it's just super comfortable for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I, if I can live on the ocean and, and do that for the rest of my life and surf, I, that'll be fucking perfect for me. And jujitsu. Jujitsu and hunting. Yeah. So if I can <laughs> add all that, I don't know how the fuck to do that, but if I can find a place that has all that in one, I'd be, that's the spot in heaven, man. I, I found it. <laughs> well, mm. I mean, Hawaii, except they've got, what is that little thing that everyone likes to kill there? They're real tasty. Uh, pigs. Yeah. No, there's something, there's some little, I don't know, little, are we talking land animal or water? No, land animal. They have axis deer. You have axis. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one that's tasty and like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Smash yeah, yeah. this. I, I, I would, yeah, I would say, I would say Hawaii would probably has all those. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's a spot. Cool. So me, you, just two hammocks and uh, two dudes. I'm down. I'm hanging down. Out. <laughs> Maybe we could bring some women. I don't care. And my children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone's got to clean up after me. <laughs> now it's starting to get a little uh, cumbersome. Ooh. It's a, it's a domestic <laughs> relationship. <laughs> Or partnership, of course. Yeah. All right. So your outlet is fishing. We kind of fast forwarded a little bit, or not so much. Yeah, I'm kind of sixteen. I'm jumping around, but we jump around. <laughs> but yeah, you know, sixteen. I move out. Um, live with my buddy. I was living in his garage for until I graduated high school. Uh, this was at Fort Lauderdale at the time, and uh, gnarly, gnarly uh, neighborhoods. Like, you know, I, I think I would, you know, being. I was a minority. Just let's just, just call it that. I got you. I saw you hesitate there. I yeah. understand. I was the minority in my high school. So, you know, growing up being six, four, uh, white in my Ooh. neighborhood, it, you're, you stand out like a sore thumb. when did you hit your towering height of six, I think four? 13, 14. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, your dad was a giant. Yeah, also. I, was, I was, yeah, my dad. So I, I just, uh, grew really fast one year and, uh, and yeah, I was just like tall, lanky, no muscle. And, uh, <laughs> you got all the muscle now. Yeah, yeah, I got it all. <laughs> and, uh, 16, uh, move out, move in with my buddy, uh, graduated 18. And, uh, I was in ROTC in high school for three years. Mm. And, uh, that really like kind of gave me that huge interest in, in the Marine Corps because it was Marine Corps ROTC. Uh, one of my ROTC instructors was Vietnam veteran recon Marine. Oh yeah. Tough as woodpecker lips. Yeah. Um, just like you, you know, you, you know, you're around a fucking man, man. Yeah. You know, you just they like, carry themselves differently. Yeah. And, and along that, I mean, I was born two years prior, but you also had, you know, Rambo and John Claude Van Damme and like yeah. all these fucking awesome. But when you meet a real one. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, that yeah. guy's legit. So, I mean, I had a lot of respect for those guys and, and what they did. And, and, you know, so the, the military really sparked my interest and, in, you know, serving really was a big thing for me. I wanted to be a firefighter, police officer, or military Same shit. my whole life. I always, I always looked up to those guys. So when I graduated, I was, you know, the plan was going to community college, do the firefighting thing. Um, but living on your own at 18, you know, I was like struggling. I was working, I think at an auto zone or something like doing oil changes and, uh, Outback Steakhouse, yeah. bus boy, yep. got fired for fighting another <laughs> bus boy. That's um, my tips, bitch. <laughs> no, this motherfucker flipped. <laughs> he, he came in on his off night to eat, to get his like discount food. And he flipped all the shit over on the table. What a like, dick. Oh, dude. Like he'd like unscrewed the salt and flipped it over. Uh, 
So yeah, I, I'd fight him. Yeah. So I went up to the table to clean it and I see him walk and I see the mess on the table and I, and I look over, he's walking out and I just drop my like bus little tray and I just run out and just tackle and beat the shit out of him in front of the parking lot. And there's like a line of people waiting to get seated and just watching <laughs> me beat like in my uh, Outback uniform. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was the end of uh, Outback career for me. But um, so I'm trying to, you know, support myself, go to community college. And I was like, man, I had $20 in my pocket, woke up one day and felt super defeated, felt honestly kind of scared. I was like, fuck man, I, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, man. Working paycheck to paycheck, you know, and I never have asked anybody for money or borrowed money. And that was one thing that was like, was a hard uh, thing to accept myself almost doing is like having to reach out to people and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm homeless. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I woke up one morning. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go see what these, uh, recruiters have to say. And, uh, and I basically, I was like, fuck it. Let's do it. I was yeah. all in. I wasn't even like, no hesitation about it. I was in, I was yeah. just like, whoever can take me fastest. And went to the Marine Corps OTC and he was like, or a uh, recruiter. And he, uh, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Two weeks later, I did all my shit. Like every day I was doing a test or doing something, you know, got through two weeks. I was on a bus up to North Carolina. Carolina. So, okay. We've talked about this, but my old man was like, you you have to talk to all the different recruiters. And to this day, I can't quantify exactly what it was, but at the time, so this is in 2000, 2000. Yeah. Cause 2001 I was in, the Marine Corps had a thing where they're like, well, we can, I, I could have swore it was, we can guarantee a location, but not a job. Am I not recalling that correctly? Or was that a thing? Cause I was like, I want to be a forest recon guy, you know, read a book and they, it was like, they wouldn't assign a job, but they would assign a location. I think that's a recruiter's way of trying to pinhole you in, into a job Some more that bullshit. they can fill quotas for because yeah. they have like, Hey, we need to fill right. motor T or this and that. And they have the ability to kind of like tell you or lie to you right. and be like, no, that's off. You can't, you can't do that. Or your ASVAB score is not good enough. So they just basically, uh, you know, point your direction over here. It, it was, it was more unique than the others just going, no, you can't get a Ranger contract or whatever you can't get. This one was, we have Hawaii, but you have to be a Which fill in the like, shitty blank. Sounds like complete bullshit to me. Okay, so that wasn't yeah. actually a thing. I, that sounds like complete dog shit to me. That is what they told me. Yeah. And I went, that doesn't make any sense. Like, right. who would just go, you know what? I love Hawaii. I will literally do anything to be there. <laughs> that probably was me. They probably would have got me. <laughs> they said that. They're like, you're going to Hawaii. I'm like, hey, like fuck it. Wait, fishing? Surfing? Yeah, yeah that's my exactly. shit. It would have probably got me. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, once I uh, graduate infantry school, I go to fucking you know, Okinawa or, you know, North Carolina. Right. Yeah. My job ends up I'm like, man, this is fantastic. I'm in Hawaii, but my only job is to stir the bucket that they paint stripes with on the, you know, taxiway. You got to do it. True. Yeah. True. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, that was, uh, and so got in and that was one month before 9-11. So I, I signed up, was in boot camp. 9-11 happened. And I was like, my whole, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't unwilling to go to war. It just wasn't my intention when I joined, right. my intention was to serve and, you know, be a Marine. Yep. I, you know, my 18 year old brain wasn't like, yeah, let's, uh, let's see if we can plan to go to war or like, yeah, I'm down to, you know, whatever the fuck happens. But, um, yeah, that's what happened. And, and, and I just so happened, I signed up for infantry and wanted to be Rambo and that whole thing. Of course. Like everybody. Um, 
and yeah, went went through all the all the fun stuff after that. Well, we can't discount. I've learned this. Okay, the fact that you signed up to do infantry, uh, uh, infantry, like everybody. Because yeah. here's the part that I don't get. I've met multiple friends. Will say my son wants to be a or my mm-hmm. daughter or whatever, and I think of the coolest thing within the service that they choose or a different service. And I go, you should really do this based on either the funding that that unit gets because that you know provides opportunity or mission or whatever fulfillment I think they'll get. But I've given the guidance to people, young male human I met. And he goes, man, that's really cool. You were a ABC, and I go, yes. You should go here or here. Mm-hmm. And then if you like it, you have, I like options, right? You have options. You can switch a service. You can go check out this other thing. Right. But both of these are really good launching points that'll make you a very, you know, functional military member. And, and you'll check that block for service. And if you decide to go someplace else, awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's also a cool place as a launching platform into other career opportunities. Yeah, I've, absolutely. Especially like the medical field. Like if people are sure. like, do something where it translate or you plan to have that translate after if you plan on getting out. Yeah. I would say do something special. That same fucking person became a radio operator in like a shitty, and I, with all due respect, like a shitty, super small guard unit in bumfuck nowhere. And I was like, no, that's the opposite. That's the opposite of what I told you to do. And the poor kids going, yeah, I'm like the radio guy, but we, we don't have any radios. So I have to do a lot of other shit. So for anybody listening, like do something that is, is don't let the recruiter push you to where they want to be. Yeah. You know, do something. message of this podcast is yeah. don't listen to your fucking recruiter. <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. Come the fuck off. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I think that's just, they're trying to, they have an objective. They get bonuses for service. Have an objective. Yeah. And if you're not as schooled up as they are, they're going to win the, that game. You're fucked. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to have a mentor or someone that's gone through it. Ask them. Even have someone that's gone through it. Bring them to the recruiter station with you. Oh, yeah. And just so you can call their bullshit out yeah. as it's coming out of their fucking face. <laughs> just good. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, right. Hmm, maybe that's the, that's the technique. Usually it's an army dude. Doesn't matter what they did in the army. Could ranger guy, SF guy, whatever. And they say, my son wants to do what I did. Can you please have him talk or talk to him about doing things in the air force? Like mm-hmm. PJ, CCT, J, like something. It never works. No, no. I think ultimately you just gotta have to figure it out yourself. Yeah, true. I mean, that's what we'd be doing. You know, kind of make the mistakes. Yeah. So you're in just barely... Pre nine eleven, yeah, boot camp. Uh, that you know, nine eleven happens. Uh, I go to SOI, which is in North Carolina. That was end of two thousand one. What's that stand for? SOI? Uh, School of Infantry. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and then, I, I mean, I won the lottery. They they needed a uh, our whole class got orders to California. Nice. And I was like, I was fucking happy for that. Went to California, checked into my unit. Was that 29 uh, Palms? Is that where that's at? No, no, no. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> that's also in California. I've been there. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. They had a dude sitting on an ammo cache in like the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we had to go draw our ammo. That's his job. <laughs> and he, he's out there for days at a time. He's like, yeah, but I'm just doing three days this time. With I go five gallon water jerry can next he's in a connex box with a cot oh fuck just hanging out and all it is is three strand constantina wire around this particular area and you just go out and you talk to you know private carl or whatever the fuck his name is 
And he's like, yeah, I'm out here. This is it? He goes, yeah, well, I only do three days. And then I get to go back for two. And then we have like a whole thing. <laughs> this is horrible. Hey, but if that's your normal. Yeah, that's your normal. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anywho. Uh, yeah. Uh, station in Camp Pendleton, right on the water. Uh, some of the best surf spots in, in the country. Trestles and Old Man's and right there in, in San Clemente. Uh, lucked out. Um, spent all eight years. Uh, as a Marine there, never moved around, deployed three times, did three combat deployments, um, did the invasion in 03, mm-hmm. uh, all the way up to Baghdad, did uh, a Fallujah in 04. Mm-hmm. And then my last deployment in uh, 06 slash 07 was uh, all around. It was like Ramadi and, and Rupa and you know, mostly Western Iraq. All a very spicy time frame. I mean, obviously the invasion, but I was in... Ramadi and we would go into Fallujah. That was oh yeah, it was oh four. Yeah, because it was shark base and all mm-hmm. the all the shit. Mm-hmm. What was your what what do you want to talk about? Because obviously you have lots of stories that you and I have talked about. Do, I mean what what do I want to talk about? I well, know. I know where I like to start mine, and it's <laughs> something about me shitting my pants because I like self-deprecating things and I think it's I, I, interesting. I, are we talking about shitting our pants <laughs> in Iraq? Because I've got a few of those. <laughs> you could do a domestic shit. You could do. <laughs> yeah, what country? Because I think I've shit my pants in all of them. <laughs> so have I. Yeah, yeah. So have I. There's always some sort of some sort of. It's a little check in the box for us. <laughs> Sip break. Mm. We'll do it at the same time. So then there's a pause. So product placement. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. Stupid fucking handle. <laughs> Invasion stuff. Mm. I, here's my tie or my frustration. So I was in uh, Afghanistan and the way the rotation should have worked was that once that became, it was on the radar that 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 could happen. We would pull out and based on the rotation, we would have gone home and then we would have ended up doing the Mm -hmm. invasion. And I had switched from uh, third bat Benning to Fort Lewis. Third bat, third bat is also the, the flagpole. Mm-hmm. And if something awesome is going to happen, they kind of have the ability at like regimental headquarters to go, we're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. I got stuck in Afghanistan during the invasion, but it was one of those fucked up like agency driven things where if they had actionable intel, they could leave you on the ground or keep you on the ground. But it was a week or two at a time. Like, hey, you're going home in a week. We're like, fuck yeah, we could still and maybe keep make it. Keep pushing it going home in two weeks. Mm. That went on for about three months mm. and it would fucking suck, dude. And I'm sure I've said it before. I mean, I've got no resentment there, but <laughs> that would never drive someone insane. It was fucking yeah. just drove me goddamn Especially insane. When you know, people are getting some, yeah. yeah. In doing invasion things, yeah, yeah. you know, and you're like, God, I want to, want to get a piece of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I had volunteered to switch with a dude to go to a place that ultimately got to do that as well as deployments to Afghanistan. So it's like, done fucked up, son. Fuck you, universe. <laughs> uh, fuck you. <laughs> so as someone that partook in that. Yeah. Was, that was your first? No. Yeah. That's first your deployment. Yeah. Yeah, man. I was fuck. 19 years old. Man, right out of the gate. Yeah, man. Yeah. Pimple face. And yeah, it was just, um, it was surreal. Um, we were in uh, Kuwait for about three weeks to a month, I believe. 
my memory is, is fucked. So I'll do my best. Same. Yeah. So the t- 2003, so almost, uh, 20 years now, Jesus. Yep. So yeah, we're in Kuwait. We get the, you know, we got the green light probably three or four times. You're going a night and then we get all geared up and jump yeah. in the tracks. And then finally it happened. I think it was March 21st, something like that. Um, I got to Google that, but anyways, yeah. go over the berm. We get in our tracks, AVs, go over the berm. That's the big one or the little one? That's the extent of as my knowledge. As far as a Marine Corps vehicle? Yeah, like the carry, the troop carriers, right? That's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so you got like a LAV, which yep. is a smaller one, and then you got the AAA. Uh, okay. Yeah, the, I don't know what they're, if they're like the big or the small or the medium or whatever, but yeah, troop carrier. Yep. And uh, they got a Mark 19 and a 50 cal on it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of in a weird shape. It's like a fucking weird cube yeah. with a point on the end of it. Yeah. I've seen it, but yeah, yeah we had like the lav and the LAV, like all the, the, or the, um, the pander, like there's so yeah. many that I just quantified What's them as your like the equivalent in the army. I didn't fucking use them. That's the but thing. What are they though? Um, I think that's it. There's the pander. Pander. Oh, there's the striker. Striker Striker. was later. That's the big daddy. Okay. And then they put that cage thing around the outside that made it like exorbitantly wide and would fuck shit up. And then they hung a bunch of armor on it to try to improve it. But that was kind of after my time because I left battalion in in 2005. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking AAV is probably just like one step below the the big one. So I got you. Yeah, we, we're in those things and it's fucking, you know, it's miserable. It's just constant noise, vibration, darkness, because it's all, you know, you're all hatched up. Yep. This is when we thought like there was a gas threat. So we're in full mopsies. Um, you got you got a gas gas uh, mask on your right side. You, uh, you know, you're, you got your top on, your bottoms on, you're zipped up, uh, helmet on. So it's like you're, you're sweating nonstop. You're... Vi- you know, vibration, noise, breathing, and uh, diesel exhaust the whole time. And so you're just in this thing for multiple hours, 10, 20 hours, sleeping, sleeping, sitting up, you know. People don't understand how much, uh, as an example, you know, when I do my guard stuff, you'll jump in a 60 and go fly around. Not even for an extended period of time. Right. But that vibration and your body constantly adjusting to the platform that you're sitting on, yeah. you, you're exhausted. Yeah. So to do an extended, and I don't think it's good for you. I don't think to so be either. on something that's vibrating for always. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, I don't think it's good for you, especially going right through your ass and your, you know, you're, you know, you got some really important things right there that are just constantly yeah. vibrating. Yeah, but it's a problem. Any hooser. Um, <laughs> yeah, go, we, we're going over the berm. This is early morning, like before the sun comes up, three, four in the morning. We get to our mark. Our mark was a first one was a uh, rock quarry that they believe that it could have been, you know, armed and manned. And so we cleared that out. We get out of the tracks. They're online side by side, probably 50 to 100 meters apart. Mm. They stop. We get out the back. Squad? A squad per? Or how? Yeah, like a squad and, and maybe some uh, attachments, like sniper attachments too. Or so squad's like nine and then you might have yeah. another four so probably, or something. I think we had like 13 in each yeah. in the back. And that's not including like the you know, the, the, the Mac or whatever they call it, like the, their, um, driver TC, driver, TC. And then the, the guy in the back is like the engineer or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's a full house. Like all the benches, there's three rows of benches in the pack. Mm-hmm. They're all packed and we got our bags on. We have our guns Sounds in our hands. Sucks. There's, you know, AT4s hung up on the side rack. There's extra fuel bladders. So if this thing goes off, 
it's a, it's an inferno. It's a real problem. Well, I remember seeing you guys in Ramadi later on, you know, 2004 or Fallujah and there's like rucks on the outside to try to, yeah. No, that's how we did it. We had no space on the inside. So Mm -hmm. we basically, um, attach, I I guess basically ran our straps or our, our shoulder. shoulder straps through the side railing of the vehicle all around. So mm-hmm. there's just all of our rocks and all of our belongings on the outside exposed yep. elements. I would be the guy that like, if there was a, if there was a bomb or a, or a, even a small projectile that was just shit and diesel and there was a barrage of gunfire, mine would be the only one that got hit. Yeah. I'm like, well, everybody's, oh no, mine's full of diesel shit. <laughs> Cool. And it caught on fire. That's hey, awesome. It, at least you, uh, you stopped the impact. With <laughs> Do you have any snacks? Because all my snacks are in the back. <laughs> <And> my underwear. <laughs> I don't um, wear underwear. And, and that's exactly what happens sometimes. I mean, we were going down alleys that were too tight and the whole, all the packs got ripped off. And what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. It happens. Um, so we get out and this is kind of a funny story. Nothing really happened. There was nobody there, but it's super dark. The skies are blacked out from the oil smoke. Mm-hmm. In the distance, there's 100 foot flames from oil t- uh, pipes going off. What type of NVGs you guys running? I was running seven Bravos. Okay. And that was the majority of the guys. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are running, you know, 14s. Yep. Um, I don't think anybody else had anything nicer than that, yep. that I saw in my unit at the time. That sucks. Uh, so for sevens are dual to one. They're yeah. At the time they were medium garbage. Fourteens mm-hmm. were the new hotness. Yeah. And then the super cool guys might have had dual tubes. Yeah. And maybe. Mm, yeah. Mm, that might have been a couple years later. But definitely pilots are using them. Oh yeah. 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 I I mean yeah, ground guys. Yeah. 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 So I was rocking those seven Bravos. Um no depth perception. Nope. Grainy as fuck. Super grainy. Um, if you don't have any, uh, you know, loom out, ambient light, you're, you're pretty much screwed. And, you, you know, you got to throw that IR on just mm-hmm. to see what's in front of you. So we get online. We do the drill. Our drill was to get on a line, spread out, and then slowly start moving up. Just basically like fucking revolutionary yeah, style. Say, you know? <laughs> just like fixed bayonets, whatever. Uh, and so I think we're like 10 steps, 20 steps into moving forward. You know, people are like, you know advance. <laughs> I don't know. How <laughs> forward, march. Yeah, forward march. And, uh, I think we're like 10, 15 steps in and someone's like, freeze. Hmm. And I'm like, you know, immediately I freeze. Tripwire. Anything, right? Like know. this is my, who the fuck knows? This is the first time in, in a, in a bad country. And, and then the next thing he yells out, landmines. Oh. Screams it. And we all pass it down the line. Landmine, landmine, landmine. And I'm just sitting there frozen mid-step, yeah. holding my saw. Oh, so you started with the saw. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah, yeah, my favorite too. Yeah. Um, and I'm just looking around. I'm like, I don't even know who fucking screamed that. I'm looking down. I pull, I'm, you know, pulling out my K-bar and yep. I'm like, you know, doing the whole mind check around my, mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. perimeter. And um, they're like, Never mind. <laughs> it was a fucking uh, hubcap <laughs> that was like partially covered in sand. <clears throat> Everybody's shitting bricks. Like, fuck you. <laughs> no banter. Yeah, yeah. No fucking with that no, no, guy no. later at all. No. Just, you know, first time you get, you step out on into Iraq and you, you think you're in a landmine field. Fucking terrifying. No, that's but, terrifying. So we get back in. The, the quarry's cleared. Our next objective was a gas and oil refinery. So I guess, you know, the objective was to keep the Iraqi Republican Guard or whoever from lighting these things off. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Basically. So there are strongholds there. There was, you know, trenches dug, fighting holes dug all around these uh, positions because they, I guess, you know, they wanted to protect their oil for, you know, good purpose. Yeah. And uh, we get, we get up, you know, about, you know, 300 meters from this thing. We get out, do the same thing online, you know, forward, <laughs> forward march, get through. And it was, it was pretty eerie, like walking through, you know, clearing out these trenches and fighting holes. And there's like cigarette, you can smell cigarettes that were burning. There's like tea that's still hot in some of yep, these, you know, I've had that experience. Yeah. It's super. And there's no one there. It's right? a different feeling because you don't know how far they are. You don't know if they're looking back at you. You don't Any, know anything. It, there's so many yeah. options for horrible shit. And just for, you know, just for the painting the picture here, the sun's now just starting to come up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit of light guys are starting to take their MVGs off. So now we're able to actually see. And so we're clearing out these little, whatever, you know, little tiny mud huts or little tiny buildings here. Hidey little shit. There's, you know, there's actually, um, uh, trenches that, you know, tr actual trench, um, like holes, uh, connected, you know, yeah, like a system, some system. sort. Yeah. yeah. And so we're clearing those things out. And what's on the ground, and we actually got briefed beforehand, where those, what are those little munitions that come out of the artillery that they drop? They flechette? Pop. No, not flechette, but they're actually like little tiny 40 mic mic grenades that come out of a, a munition and they're, they drop like. Oh, like, like the little baby carpet bomb things. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot what they're called. Yeah. But they, they, they peppered this area with them. Oh, okay. And I think they have like a crazy uh, 30 percent dud rate on these things so instead of going off there's live munitions just like fucking like glitter yeah. all over this place so we're like tiptoeing around this stuff yeah and one dude steps on it blows his foot off that's fucking terrifying yeah jesus yeah and then we're we're like two hours into the invasion well, yeah. and where do you go like back when you're in that you're right yeah, you get your fucking half your foot blown off, you know, medics over there running over there. But we're still doing our thing. We had to, we got to reach a point. You got to keep moving. Limit of advance. Yeah. And again, there's no one there. It's dead quiet. It's it's super creepy. You know, we get to our point and our point for my squad and my team, we got, we went up to this road. It was a corner. There's a berm right directly in front of us. And the road went north and south and almost a perfectly straight line. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the, on the corner where the road and the berm meet and I'm sitting there, I put my saw down and I'm basically the front guy corner of the whole company behind me mm -hmm. and the battalions over to our right and left, but I got the front corner Yeah, and I'm just facing down this road. I can see down, it had to been like over a mile because mm -hmm. it was so flat and straight. There's nothing around. I'm just kind of chilling on my knee, you know, behind my saw some time goes by, snipers are looking out, scanning with their scopes, spotting scopes, and they see some individuals in the horizon, really far out there, five or six, moving from left to right. And they eventually get into a couple vehicles and they slowly are starting moving down this road towards us. Hmm. Super slow. The snipers are giving us updates every couple seconds. Yeah, they're, they're going real slow. I don't know what they're doing. As we can actually see you know, this is probably 500 meters away. We can actually see the trucks a lot better. White flag goes out the, out the side of the truck, both trucks, white mm. flag. And they're just driving. It looks like 20 miles an hour, super slow, right? 
So we're, we, we planned ahead of like, how are we going inter- to intercept people and, and stop them and search them? And we, we had all of our, um, language and SAPs oh, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. we practiced this for months. So I stand up, I got my saw in my hand, one hand, and I'm doing like slow down universal, like slow mm-hmm. down what, what, arm signal. What are you rocking? Irons dot ACOG. What's going on the site stuff on the. Um, yeah. So iron sights, yep. my night vision capability was, which I thought was rad at first when I got this system, I was pissed off because everybody got those, um, PBS 13s, I think mm-hmm. they're called. And they're mm-hmm. like night vision scopes yep. that you mount on top of your saw. I don't remember what that was called. I remember the sniper stuff, which is like the NAD 720 or some shit like that. Well, but that was a power for for whatever. Let's just call it 13s. And it was, all it was was a night vision scope mm-hmm. that you have to look into to see. Yeah. So what zero I, power or magnification? I couldn't tell you. I'm horrible <laughs> at this shit. No, me too. And we're I, bridging some, a language. It had here. some magnification. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much. We're also bridging a language like barrier sure. of the nomenclature. So I don't fucking know yeah, what the All this right. stuff, we'll have to fill it back in. It's fine. <laughs> Jamie. There's yeah. Logan. Logan. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So what I was given was what they had left. And what it was, was a peck that was attached to this like modified like metal rail thing that went over my feed tray that hooked into. Oh uh, yeah. Do you remember that? It was like this metal hook. It was a clamp that I basically went underneath the feed tray bolts. Mm -hmm. It hooked in and then I screwed it down. So it had this, its own rail system and my peck was attached to that. Mm -hmm. So what I essentially had was my night vision on my face and I can carry my saw like almost at the hip, like an action figure. (laughs) And I didn't have to bring it up to my, my chest or what, you know, I didn't have to look through it and sight in. I just had a IR laser beam. Yeah. Laser. I can just point and shoot. And I didn't realize how badass that was until I like started using it. And I was like, oh, this is fucking money. Because every time another saw gunner got into anything, he had to get his face down behind it to see what he was shooting at. You're faster. I was faster. Yeah. So, but at this point, this morning, I, I had took it all off. I put it in my pack. So no, no night vision. I, I'm just rocking my saw, iron sights. These, these vehicles are coming down. And... I would say about a hundred meters away, those white flags that we were looking at drop oh, and they floor it. Mm. And so I immediately mm. start like, you know, I'm like, yo, what's up? Like yep. I talked to my squad later. He's like, Hey, get down. So I get down and these guys immediately start shooting at us like, you know, 50 meters out or hundred meters out. And, uh, is there doing like AK out the window, AK out the yeah, window shooting? All, or, there was yeah. guys in the back that stood up okay. in the back of the trucks. Yeah. So they, we couldn't see them. And when they started shooting, they stood up like, you know, drive-by style. Yeah. And so I get down in the prone behind my saw and I just, you know, full auto. Um, and the first truck gets by us and I lift my saw up as it's passing and I just keep shooting, keep shooting. And when the guys, ne- to my left, I stopped shooting. Right. Because I, I don't have any more field of fire. Mm-hmm. I turn my attention to this next vehicle and I just start shooting at that. I unloaded a full drum, so 200 rounds in either, both vehicles. Um, and so we neutralized all the targets, all, all the um, threats. There was, I think, around four or five in each truck. And what was pretty wild is that the only person that was standing up when that was happening was my lieutenant 
um, and he was on the radio and he mm-hmm. was bending over and he caught a round. He, it was the only one that got hit. Mm-hmm. He caught a round right in the liver and went right underneath this, uh, his flak jacket. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't know this when I was, you know, a little bit of ways of away from him. And so I'm like clearing out those vehicles. I'm, I'm searching, you know, looking for any more threats, shooting the rest, you know, the guys that are crawling around. I'm, I'm taking care of those guys. Um, and then I find out that our Lieutenant was hit. And so, you know, medics and everybody's running over there to help him out. And, uh, he ended up dying, which was crazy because he was the first person to, to die in, in, in the Iraq war. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Lieutenant Childers, Shane Childers. So just like some psychology, you're going, you're 19 years old. I just killed, you know, around six to 10 guys. My lieutenant gets killed behind me. Mm-hmm. Only guy gets hit. Um, he dies. Um, so this is what, four hours into the war. Mm-hmm. And I'm already killed some guys, shot my weapon for the first time at people. And my officer that I've trained with and been with for the last couple of years died. So I'm thinking this is going to be some gnarly shit. Thinking ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have you know, five more months, six more months of this stuff. I mean, the statistics of that first engagement and who knows how long it's actually going to be. I mean, I'm sure they say like three months, whatever whatever the rotation is. And you're you're wearing gas protection. Yeah. That's a whole other fucking terrifying element. Exactly. So at any moment there could be gas going off or a fuck, you don't, we don't know because at that time it was all about weapons of mass destruction and all this stuff. So we don't know what the fuck's going on. But, you know, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. And so that was, that was day one. That was day one of, you know, the invasion. So yeah, that was pretty, pretty intense, um, baptism. Yeah, absolutely. If, I mean, refined by the fire is kind of the way that whole thing went. And that was my mental model when you said, I'm, I'm trying to, and I've seen some shit in my experience that was that moment of post apocalypto craziness. But when you said just the burning you know, it's wild. I have a picture of it and it's just as you would expect it. Multiple flames that are 50 to hundred feet going straight up into the sky mm-hmm. and the whole sky, it, it almost like settles almost in a perfect pillow, like, like black clouds, but yeah. it covers the whole sky. So you can't see above. And you have a picture of that. Yeah. Like, like zip, zip, zip click yeah, exactly. type of thing. Wind up camera. Yeah. That is one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't have the wherewithal to take pictures of just things. Man, if, if there were the technology we have today was back then, imagine the Ooh. stuff that was, would have been captured. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I had one buddy, and this was later on. This was in, um, well, later on Afghanistan. I think it was my second or th- it was my third Afghanistan, and he got a digital camera. And that is, and the pictures are not great. I actually just found a bunch of them recently. I visited my folks, and my mom's like, yeah, I got all this shit. And I had lost a lot of them because they're actual prints. Although they were digital, I have no fucking clue where the digital version is. Yeah, and it was megapixels. Like, yeah, right. Megapixels. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, this is the best. But you see these grainy ass pictures. Right. And I was so thankful for that fucking dude that just happened right. to, he was kind of a nerd. You right. know, he was a game gaming guy when I wasn't a gaming person. You know, one of the younger guys, he's like, I got this digital camera. And he just snapped pictures of everything. Yeah. And I would have loved to have like combat camera with us or just like someone that was just dedicated, just like you know, recording everything. Yeah. We didn't have it. We, 
that I know of in my short period of time in, you know, battalion before moving, we didn't have cam- ca- uh, combat camera because that wasn't a thing. Like, we don't know what is going to happen. So we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, man, that's invaluable. But the fact that you have a picture of that, which is yep. just pre that engagement, you know, your, your first event, yeah, it's if so you will. visceral too. You look at that picture and it brings up all the, it brings up the smell. It brings up the, the, you know, that, that crazy, scary feeling you had and just like all the things you heard and mm-hmm. the people that were injured and different things. So you look at that picture and it's like, it has a lot of like different oh, yeah. emotion and, and things attached to it. Well, that whole, uh, the olfactory thing. So I flew in to Bagram and it was, it was fresh. They were still putting dirt in the walls, which is kind of, it's a funny story, which are my favorite, but the not funny the part is in the... Yeah, and the Hescos. Hescos They're yeah. filling the Hescos. There's no, they're literally dumping the dirt in. I'll get to that. But we get off the bird. The first thing that happens when they open the ramp on whatever we were in, C, probably C-17, mm. they open the ramp and you get that, I call it moon dust, you know, that super fine silt oh, in yeah. Afghanistan and you smell it. And you, it doesn't smell like anything I've ever smelled before. And then, you know, you're dragging your bags and doing your shit. And there's, obviously there's Bagram had security of some sort on the airfield, but you're blacked out and you get to wherever you're at and you've got your guns and all your shit and the sun starts coming up and call to prayer happens. And this is the condensed version. Right. But then the first thing that happened was something pops off on the other side of this Hesco wall and you don't even have your bearings yet, you know, cause you just went into some sort of compound mm-hmm. that our Advon platoon, which my buddy Derek Ottaker was with, and he comes walking towards me you know, he's out of regs and he's got like a little five o'clock shadow and he's got his uh, uh, spears. No, what the fuck did they call it? It was like the black fleecy thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this thing's fucking awesome. Come, I mean, today's technology is a piece of garbage. He comes walking towards me and he's got a guy and he's like, hey man, what's up? I'm thinking, holy shit, it's the Wild West. And he's been there for maybe, I don't know, a week or two longer. Is this? This is, this is 2001. This is right at that. Bagram was, Fresh. Okay. I was brand new. Um, Jericho's better for this because I was super young and he was... So, just, 2001, this is like right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are... This is fresh in the invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah, this is... Bagram is a baby. Got She's it. very fresh. Got it. The funny story and the one that I like... Well, let me finish that. So we... Boom, something goes off. So naturally, a bunch of idiot rangers. We climb the wall. Well, it turns out an EOD guy and his dog they were doing EOD mm-hmm. things and he got smoked. That was literally my first morning in Afghanistan after landing that night. And I was like, oh shit, this is like real shit. Within the first day, maybe another day, again, 20 something years ago, there's a dude and he's been, he's dumping dirt into these walls. So Rangers do what Rangers do and they're improving their fighting position. And somebody, I don't know who, was like, hey, Privates jump up on the wall. We're going to pull this Constantino wire, pound the stakes in, and we'll hang it, mm-hmm. you know? So we're up there pounding stakes in, and this dude comes flying up in a big front end loader. You know, the OD green kind of right. got some number on it. It's obviously ours. And he cops off, he's got a big beard. In my brain, he might have had a denim shirt that buttoned up and like not a military uniform. And he's like, what's up, guys? Like, I'm Carl. And he's like, stop what you're doing. Everyone, we're all stopping. And we're thinking, my squad leader told me to fill this fucking thing up and pound these shits in and whatever. He's like, 
Here's the deal, guys. None of that dirt's been cleared. So there's a high potential that there's some landmines in those walls. Holy fuck. <laughs> and we're up there banging these fucking posts in. That was an interesting Yeah, fuck experience. landmines. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> when you when you were talking about landmines, I remember walking around on, I think it was the first actual patrol, which nothing happened. There's There was nothing, right? I don't even remember why we were there, to be honest with you. But we had... We got a class or some sort of knowledge dump from, I can't remember who, on the rocks. Because there's piles of rocks everywhere. Okay. Like, yep, if it looks like this, like that's a minefield from the Russians, from their carpet mining days. Oh, you and mean all the- they would stack it in mm-hmm. label, um, almost like a marker? Yeah. Okay. It's like red, right, returning. You're like, yeah, like you're, you're on a passage of yeah. some sort. Yeah, okay. And I remember looking at these rocks. I'm like, I have no, I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know if I'm on the right side or the wrong side. <laughs> I should have paid attention. <laughs> well, and I'm sure I was diligent. You know, young yeah. Ranger Reeves had right. my fucking book and my shit and I'm taking notes. But then you're thinking, wait a second, if it was supposed to be five rocks high or one rock or three rocks, I don't know. And somebody bumped it, some goat fucking off in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a really safe. System. I remember not feeling super, yeah, yeah. super safe about anything and going, stacks of rocks. Like, could you write something or spray paint or fucking label anything? Right. Anyways. So that was my little, you know, intro to yours was much more dramatic, obviously loss of life and everything else. How long was, how long was the invasion for you and your unit? Um, honestly, it was only three months. We, well, you can't say only three when it well, starts off like that. That's a long fucking well, time. We were expecting longer. Okay. So yeah, that's what, what I meant by that. I mean, we, we were expecting to stay, you know, six months and it only turned out to be, wait, uh, March. Yeah. Three months in, in country, mm-hmm. but we did, you know, a month and a half in, in, uh, Kuwait. It's been up Yeah. So prep. it was total was almost six months. It's a long fucking time. Yeah, but we were expecting, I mean, once we went, we got to Baghdad and, you know, we cleared that out or whatever you want to call it, um, took over the palaces and took over the, you know, certain uh, hard points and positions and got a foothold into the city. Uh, we retracted back to another place. Um, it was an actual military base that was um, Iraqi Republican Guard base in Aldea Nima. Mm-hmm. And so we just basically did missions out of that. Okay. So you do the invasion, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a piece of our history. Right. And which is amazing. Your next two deployments, was that all Iraq? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All three. Uh, so I don't, while I was in the Marine Corps, I did three to Iraq and then um, did, did Afghanistan when I did contracting. Okay. Um, what was your decision matrix when you decided to leave the Marine Corps? Um, I think I was in recon at the time. So recon was going through some weird, uh, transitional mm-hmm. uh, phases at that time it was 2006, seven, eight. We, we switched over to MARSOC. Mm-hmm. So the force platoons and they were basically, uh, you know, they take down our, our, uh, our flag and put up MARSOC flags. And it was just like a weird transition. Uh, first force, a lot of the guys from that, um, that unit were basically building up MARSOC. Um, so they used recon Marines to build up MARSOC. And, and while they were doing that, they were trying to figure out how MARSOC force recon and recon battalion were going to be implemented in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. MARSOC was the first time that the Marine Corps, well, 
not the first, but the first time in a long time that the Marine Corps was a part of SOCOM. Mm-hmm. And so finally we get the SOCOM, you know, money and Dominus, Dominus. Yeah. And we yeah. had Marsoc and we got that, we got that going. So it was a real weird, real weird time. And so a lot of guys are trying to get the Marsoc. A lot of guys are trying to do this and that, get their, you know, get their unit they want to go, get their schools they want to go. Um, my last year and a half in the Marine Corps, I was an instructor, recon instructor. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was coming up on my eight year mark. And, you know, if I enlisted one more time, I figured that would just be a career. Yep. You know, that would take me to 12 years. And if, if you do 12, you might as well just do 20. Kind of, that's how I looked at it. The same. And none of our logic works out, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's just how I'm like, I'm not going to do 12 years in something and just like stop doing it and then start over. Yep. Like, so eight years was like, to me, that time where you can still get out, you're still young and mm-hmm. do something else. So I, I really wanted to go to uh, sniper school. I wanted to go to do some other schools. I, you know, like some people say this, but I was, you know, talking and about putting my package into, um, for Delta, mm-hmm. whatever the case, I just wanted to do more, whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? But that, I think that there's a, there's a ton of us like, yeah, I, you know, I did this thing, right. you know, I, I, I just wanted to see how far I can go down that road. Yeah. And so I basically got at that time, they weren't giving anybody anything, no schools, no, um, duty stations of their choice. And the only thing they can promise you was a reenlistment bonus. It makes you kind of bitter. It does. And yeah. it made me kind of bitter. It was like, Hey, we'll give you $90,000. And I was like, dude, I don't give a fuck about money. Yeah. I would love to go to this school. I want to advance my career, my knowledge. Yeah. Or I want to go to this other unit. Oh, we can't do that. We can't promise this. Well, if eight years and three combat deployments and almost fucking dying doesn't give me the, the you know, the, a pass to yeah. ask for these things and you grant me these things, then I guess it's probably my time to go. Mm-hmm. But I didn't leave in a bitter experience. I actually love my time in the Marine Corps. I, I mean, just being able to go over to recon from infantry and go to all those schools and, and fucking deploy with those guys. I mean, I looked up at to recon Marines and special forces like gods, like those guys were, you know, gods among men. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to go over to that unit and make it and, and, and succeed. It's like um, stepping up twice in my yeah, opinion. I was, you know? I was, I was super grateful. And when I got out, it wasn't bitter. Mm-hmm. It was just, I felt like it was time. Yep. And an eight year mark, I was like, you know what? I did three combat deployments. I, you know, I, I led uh, Marines in the battle in the mm-hmm. Fallujah. Uh, nobody died. Huge success for me. Um, and I felt like, you know what? I, maybe I just kind of close this chapter out and there was other things going on. There's a lot of contracting going on and there was other cool stuff going on. I was like, you know what, if I can't find what I want here, there's some other cool stuff. And at the time I actually thought it was easy to get back in. Oh there's yeah. A lot of guys getting out and coming yeah. back in a year later. Yes. So I was like, you know, what? why don't that. I just do that? I'll get out. I'll go see what's going on out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Cause I haven't been a civilian since I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I'm 26 at this point. I'm like, I want a piece of that civilian life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I earned it. Yeah, exactly. I fucking earned it. Yeah, I'm going to grow my beard out. and That's my America. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to get in there and use that thing. That's great. And so, you know, I immediately, the day I got out, uh, got my DD-214. Um, I sent my paperwork over to GRS, to uh, SOC. Actually, actually, at the time, it was uh, Blackwater. Blackwater. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I just sent my package, SF-86 form, all that stuff. And I just went on vacation. I just didn't think about it. 
went to Costa Rica, goofed off, went home back to Florida, saw family. A couple months later, got the call to go train and try out and did that and passed and was with uh, Blackwater for, I don't know how many months, but they quickly switched over to SOC. Mm -hmm. And then I did the GRS thing for about four years. Nice. Yeah. And then when you decided to leave and... So I've heard that everybody's working on their exit strategy, you know I mean? Because I feel like there's that perfect equation with contracting that they pay you enough to limit your bandwidth and you feel like you're successful, but at the same time, it's very hard to do other things. And I also know people that have done it and they do all the things. It just depends on the individual. But at what point did you decide like, I'm going to do something different because what I'm trying to get to is the healthy, happy, awesome Mike that I met after, you know, you were, you had stopped. Do we have time? (laughs) What what is our time right now? I don't know. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. I I mean, so my transition from contracting to who I am today was, was pretty interesting in my opinion. It was, it was something that, um, it was, it was a journey that I, I needed. I just didn't know how to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, I, I, you know, did a lot of psychedelic stuff down in the jungle and, and I was a kind of a miserable human being, uh, after I got up contracting, mm-hmm. my PTSD was in control, total control of me. My, my, uh, anger was all over the place. My emotions were all over the place. Anger all the time. Yeah. I was getting into fights, knocking people out at like parties. I would throw parties. I lived in Newport Beach in California and I was like, throw these big ass parties catered and ice luges and, <laughs> you know, kegs. And then I would knock somebody out for, you know, doing something stupid in my house, which, you know, some people do that, but I, I was doing it almost like I was looking for it. Yeah. And so I, I realized like there I'm, I'm losing control. Um, I was super, uh, I had a motorcycle. I was just like doing all this crazy shit, like, you know, 110 miles an hour, splitting lanes, just like not a care in the world, uh, super destructive. Um, didn't care about dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'd like to quantify it yeah. based on my experience uh, is on a very little self value yeah. or preservation. In a yeah. Way. I actually hated myself. Like I had no self worth. Yep. I, I'm really good at beating myself up mentally and physically. This is the first conversation we had in the parking lot right here. Oh, really? About hating. Like, <laughs> I hate me, I think was my statement. <laughs> I, 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 maybe I was making a comment on how much you worked out or something. Because you have a, a really, you know, you have zero fat on you, you have good physique. And I think that led into yeah, yeah. good at beating yourself up and starving yourself. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, my, I think my exact statement, because it's slightly rehearsed at this point since we've had that conversation, right. because there's, there's something about you and, you know, uh, collective shared experience right. where I go, oh, no, I hate me. Yeah. And I exude yeah. an immense amount of control over the things I can control because everything else feels out of control. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so... Exactly right. I mean, I was going through all those things and I didn't know how to grab my life and take control of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was on, my emotions were on, on its own autopilot. Um, my, my career, my love life, my family, my existence and my self-worth were all out of my control. Mm-hmm. And they were also in a very shitty place. And it, it seemed like everything kind of came to like all at once, like my career at the time, I didn't, you know, I left GRS and I was making really good money. And then mm-hmm. I started bodyguarding in LA, this is 2014, 15. And 
my, I had my mom passed away. I had two really good friends pass away, one drown, uh, other suicide. And it was just like all these things. Uh, the girl I was dating for four years, you know, that came to an end. I wore that out. Um, and it was like, you know, big, big things in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of them felt like they're shit. And so I was in this really nasty, depressive eight month, um, just deep, dark hole. It was about eight months long that I can remember. And I did all the stuff. I did the, you know, the therapy, the SSRI drugs, um, hypnotism, yeah. um, you know, breathing work, yoga, you name it. I tried it. And before that I did some, some research on psychedelics and I wasn't really versed in it at the time. And, you know, using drugs was really like, you know, foreign to me. I didn't do any growing up. Super faux pas. Yeah. Also just coming from the mill and right. know, it just doesn't I feel, didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't want to get in trouble. So I, I, I honestly didn't do anything. I didn't start smoking weed or doing anything until I was 30. Yeah. And even that I didn't do it at a excessive rate. Well, I mean, but the, you know, the military educates us on, you know, really positive uh, outlets like ethanol <laughs> in the form of alcohol that's that's discounted and readily available yeah. all over the place in a culture that supports hey, you, it. You just got back from deployment, go out and drink yeah, all weekend. For sure. It seems like a great idea. This plant that grows out of the earth, yeah. don't fuck with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this thing that we made yeah, that yeah. will destroy it's you, poison. that literally interrupts your sleep pattern right. so that you can't sleep well and store thoughts drink, and memories. Drink as much as that as you can. For sure. Drink all that and then just to have some PTSD. Good luck keeping your career and your family and your relationships. But don't get a fucking DUI, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't or do we'll that. throw you out <laughs> yeah. on your ass. Um, yeah, totally. So, you know, uh, psychedelics was super foreign to me. I didn't know much about them. I started reading about it. I started, you know, watching documentaries and then meeting people that were versed in it. And I met somebody that uh, was, you know, involved in the ayahuasca uh, circle. So mm -hmm. immediately I was like, hey... I love, I love to learn more about this. This sounds very interesting because I tried everything else. I felt like, and so a couple of weeks later I sit in ceremony at my diet's all perfect. I, you know, two weeks out, I started eating real clean and light and I go into ceremony. This is in LA and I sit down with all these, like, look like hippie people. And I love it. And, uh, which was actually totally false. They're just like a bunch of uh, stunt people in Hollywood. They're all like badasses, like martial arts and uh, gymnasts and all this cool shit, skydivers. Cool. Yeah. But um, I'm sitting down with all these people, it's like 20 people in the room. And I'm like, at this point, I have like nothing to lose. I had no fear of, mm -hmm. of drinking ayahuasca. Because um, at the point, my my life, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm bitching, but it just no, sucks for me. Like yeah. I, I was like, you know, in a, in the closest to suicide I've ever been mm -hmm. just because I didn't like waking up and I didn't like who I was mm -hmm. and it just, it sucked. And I, and I didn't know what to do. And so going into, into ceremony, I hear a lot of people that are like afraid and they, they worry for me, I had zero fear because I was like, what is worse than I'm, what I'm already feeling. Right. You can't top this. Yeah. Right. And so if this medicine or drug or whatever you want to call it has an ability to help people, that's how my focus was on it. I was just geared towards that. And mm -hmm. I was like, I need relief. I need healing. I need something that get me out of this fucking miserable dark hole I'm in. And, and those six hours were some of the most incredible 
experiences I ever had in my life. Um, just a lot of stuff was, well, I was able to just release a lot of bullshit that I was dealing with. Um, a lot of self hate, a lot of, um, guilt for my mom's passing. Um, you know, she, she killed herself and it was one of those things where when she killed herself, our relationship was shit. And she was like my rock when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, we were homeless together. It was just me and her, her and I, and I depended on her. She depended on me. And then as, you know, as I'm an adult later on in life, she becomes really bad alcoholic and not the same person. And our relationship was really shitty and our communication was really shitty. So when she passed away, it was like this unfinished business. I didn't get to like solve with her and like, just, just like kind of like tell her the things I wanted to tell her because I was angry at her and she was angry at me. So we left on a really shitty note and I, and I carried that guilt heavy when she passed away. It, this, this is not even close to the same, but I don't necessarily have a regret because of my military career or things that I've done that have kept me away from my folks. I have a healthy, happy relationship with them. Everything's fine, but I do regret the time that I gave up. So there's another factor of there of, you know, doing in the Marine Corps for eight years and contract, which takes you away. And I feel like I've missed a lot based on my own decisions as noble as I thought they were at the time. And that's a huge factor. I think that a lot of people don't, you know, take into account, but anyways. No, I hear you. Yeah. I was, I was, I was just, um, I was reaching for something and, and thank God I found that yeah. instead of like the bottle or a, a pistol or my motorcycle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm not saying motorcycles are bad. I'm just saying yeah. it was, it was sometimes was, you yeah. just want to like, maybe I just won't stop. <laughs> that throttle was, was juice for me, man. Yeah. It, was, it was drugs. So, um, yeah, man, when that first ceremony was, was a lot of weight lifted off me and I, and I, it was crazy how different I felt from when I walked into ceremony, when I left ceremony, how much weight lifted off me and how much forgiveness I gave myself. And I knew right there that there is something to this medicine that I was unaware of. Now I know that I want to, I want to investigate more. Mm -hmm. I want to see how far down this rabbit hole I can heal. That's what was my objective on that. So a couple months pass, I meet this gentleman that needs some bodyguard work and I'm talking to him. He's basically helping people get off drugs and he has to like watch them. Sometimes he needs help, like looking over some of these people. Cause they'll like go out and like get drugs or alcohol. So he needs somebody there to like watch them and protect them or whatever. Like true addicts that are. Yeah. yeah. And these are people with money or they come from money. So mm -hmm. they're high profile. So he comes to me and he's, and he's talking to me and he's telling me stuff. Like he does these different things with them. He sometimes takes some of his patients down to South America and he's and does this medicine he says. And I'm like, wait, you're talking about ayahuasca? And he's like, yeah. And I tell him my story, tell him my experience. And he's like, oh man, um, I have a sim similar, you know, experience with it. I come from really crazy, you know, childhood guys. Like you wouldn't believe it. If you like, if I told you he's wearing a full suit, real nice, uh, tie and everything guy is tattooed from like neck to, 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 uh, 
wrist, yeah. like all these like crazy devils. And like the mm-hmm. guy was like crazy meth head and in and out of jail, crazy story. And now he's a, he's a doctor helping people. It's, it's fucking gnarly. Yeah. It really is. And he found ayahuasca and mm-hmm. he's done it hundreds and hundreds of times. And so he's telling me his story and I'm like blown away. I'm like, man, this, 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 this community and this like medicine and this stuff, there's so much to this world. Now I'm like discovering, I'm like, all these things are coming to me. It feels like the universe is now aligning in my favor. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like these things are happening. So he tells me about a a guy, a patient of his that needs to be taken down. And he's like, Hey, if, if you're willing, I can have, I can basically pay you to take this guy down to Peru and, and bring him to my, my facility and and have him sit in, in ceremony and do ayahuasca and you can also partake. I was like, I'm in, let me yeah, sold. <laughs> no shit. A, a week later, I'm on a plane down to Peru with this guy. And, uh, I was down there for a month and a half and I, I did ayahuasca almost every night and changed me, completely changed me. I was, I went down there a certain way and I came back a completely changed person. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying I I'm like perfect or I, you know, I, I completely solved all my problems. It's not like that. But the way I think and my choices I make now and, and how I spend my time, the way I do it is different. And it's, that's, that, that's how, how it shifted for me. The person I was and the person I am now, mm-hmm. the, the, the way I spend my time, the, how I, how I think before is so pessimistic and negative. Yeah. My whole journey is to, I don't know if this sounds stupid, but just, just the, the, the look at the positive in anything and everything. Right? It, it doesn't sound stupid at all because yeah, we've right, talked or about that. Or whatever, no, you but know? we've talked about this, yeah. you know, when you, you speak about somebody that you knew or, or whatever, and you're like, man, you know, come to think of it, they're kind of a, like a cancer, you know, to, a, or a, and that negativity or, or when you're around it, once you're aware of what it is, yeah. then you go, oh no, don't do that. Like, yeah. let's, let's go, you know, glass yeah. half full. You instead. start feeling like allergic to the shit. Yeah. Once and, you start seeing the, the impact it makes, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're that person that's surrounded by negativity or you're just angry all the time and that's all you think about, that's how your brain is going to wire. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to reinforce that, that habit and that way of thinking. And that's how my whole life was from my childhood and the Marine Corps. And I'm not saying the Marine Corps was, was super negative, but we were just super angry individuals and everything was like, fuck you, fuck this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, smash. Yeah, smash mm-hmm. and kill. So you're, re, you're wiring your brain and reinforcing it to be that way. Mm-hmm. So my objective in this new path I was taking was to look at the good. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life as an angry, you know, individual. I don't want to be that asshole that everybody doesn't want to be around. Mm -hmm. I want to be the person that everybody wants to be around and you're a fucking good dude. And and people talk good behind your back. Like I want, that's what I want. So my objective is just to see the light and everything and, and the good and everything and surround myself with those type of individuals. Um, and thank God I found this company cause it's fucking, you know, crawling with those type of people, super positive, super ambitious, um, just really good humans. So that, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here at Black Rifle. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a, what an amazing journey, but a self-awareness, I think, which is unique. 
And if anybody takes anything away, it is that at any point, like you're, you're not lost. So like, I call it my darkness. Mm-hmm. It's like my little friend that I'm aware of, but I know it's there. You know what I mean? And I've become more aware of it by being around people like yourself and people from the company to just admit, like, I have this thing, you know, it's something I need to work on. You know, my path was a little bit different. Uh, like, well, I shouldn't say different, but my modes of trying to fix that were different because, you know, still being in the guard. So float tanks and meditation, I got a stellate ganglion block, like, which was VA backed up and everything else, but you're doing the legal route. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and it's, it's just seeking something better. But then also figuring out what those things are, those cancers or poisons in your life and trying to distance yourself. You Absolutely. Know, I, sp- I spent a couple of years sober just to reevaluate me. And then I was doing fucking gyro spin and like mm-hmm. all this shit to try to rebuild a healthy brain. And you know what? Maybe you know, psilocybin or uh, ayahuasca or whatever it is, maybe that's not for everybody based on who knows, whatever Absolutely. they've got going on. Yeah. But- Everybody's chemistry is different. You got to kind of discover what works for you. But what I love right now is that there are so many different studies, studies that are backed by, you know, high credentialed, you know, Mm -hmm. universities and and whatnot that are building an education or building information that's being put out there because it's much more readily available and acceptable. Um, Obviously, we went through the legalization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. I know guys that, let's just go with THC or marijuana alone. They did the VA path, which is literally at the, like, I fucking hate it because I've seen guys go from, you know, aches and pains or chronic injury from tramadol to oxy to suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's almost the prescription if you do nothing that's, else. That's those, that's their scope of practice. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not the VA. It's just our system mm-hmm. that doesn't allow them to expand their scope of practice. Well, one of the first things you said was the SSIDs. Yes. You know what I mean? Which nothing against that. There are people that that works for. I have a friend that called me and was like, Hey man, that worked for me. You know, it kind of tuned things down to where it was manageable. Sure. But it also makes people fucking shoot up schools and it also makes people kill themselves. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so it's, it's this, I mean, I think what we're, we're dancing around is, Individual chemistry. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different, and, and what what works for some people is not going to work for everybody else. So, I don't want I don't want to say that you know I don't want I don't want to sell ayahuasca or psychedelics as like I'm a car salesman. Mm-hmm. That, not at all. For me, it works really well. MDMA, um, psilocybin, ayahuasca, DMT. I really respond well to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just I like that feeling or I, I, it's very introspective allows me to like pull myself out, look at myself at like almost in a third person reevaluate. And I, yeah, you can, you can get down on yourself and kind of be hard on yourself in, in certain aspects when you're under the medicine. But at the same time, it brings to light some things that you probably need to work on, which is almost like a self therapy session. Yeah. But if you understand that process and you can kind of like, compartmentalize that that's what it's doing instead of it just being like, you know, a a beat down session, you can take those notes, you can take those uh, lessons and and utilize it. And I think to me, it speaks really clear when I, when I see that in when I'm, when I'm doing a journey. I think it's fucking awesome, man. Well, and I, you know, I got to meet Mike after these things and it's awesome. It's awesome spending time with you. We went to Panama and fucked up. We, we basically have matching tattoos on our feet right now. 
because that seemed like a good idea to do in Panama City. My second podcast. <laughs> Getting a tattoo and some. What was that? Like an old apartment? All right. So, so well, the story was Black Rifle sent us to Panama to do a fishing excursion right. uh, with the pangas and the the paddle. When, when they said we're we're sea kayaking and fishing, I kept thinking, how the fuck am I gonna like fucking do yeah. and do the thing? Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I didn't know they had paddles, like little paddles rather. And then we camped in the jungle, which was amazing. It was fucking. I thought it was gonna be hell because I was thinking jungle and bugs and mm-hmm. mosquitoes. Zero bugs, zero mosquitoes. I mean, a little bit, but like nothing crazy. Yeah. They had it set up like full on, like little hut there. They, they had tents everywhere. We set up like some um, hammocks. Well, we did the ceviche. We just, right? oh yeah, we went spear fishing, caught some fish, did ceviche, caught some uh, shrimp in the river. Crawdads. Crawdads. Crawdads with the locals. The yeah. guys just yink, yink, grabbing these little Magical bad boys experience. up. I'm, it was real. It was fantastic. And they paid us to do it. Mm-hmm. But, Shout out. I, yeah, shout out. I was talking to one of the, the younger guide dude. He had like tattoos, kind of yeah. unique tattoos all over. Dakota, I believe his name. Yeah, and I had decided on a previous uh, trip to Costa Rica that my right leg was starting at my foot. Every time I would go out of the country or have a unique experience that I would get a tattoo. That's your bomber jacket patch? It's my bomber jacket, <laughs> right? And it, it started with this little thing on the side of my foot in the in a hostel in holding the girl's cat and the tattoo artist was the boyfriend and she was shadowing and learning and she tattooed on my foot. And I was like, man, this is an experience. So to me, it was all about the experience. The tattoo is not fantastic. And mm-hmm. I threw my flip-flops on and fucked it up and went in the salt water almost immediately, but I actually it. get a lot of compliments on mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever my, they're, they're basically People call it pretty. <laughs> That's what I was going for. And then uh, I saw a bunch of sea turtles, which is uh, my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a turtle. We talked about it. Yeah. Actually, you were influential in the type of turtle I got on my foot. Yeah, yeah. But I talked to that dude. Like geometry pattern. Yeah, yeah. It matches some other shits. Sure. Um, I talked to that dude and he was like, oh, I got a tattoo guy. And then we Google over. So we do the seven hour drive back, which was, you know, there's like road sodas. It was a fun yeah. situation. Uh, after the shoot. And I talked to the dude that was kind of my kind of hosting it, the other mic. And I go, I think we should just do a podcast, which I have no fucking clue where that thing went. It's probably in the garbage because all you heard was me in the background, which I didn't think about. But let's get a tattoo whilst uh, podcasting and reviewing the old uh, Panama experience. Uh, And when I did, anyways, that's where the, the kid gave me the number for the guy who didn't speak English. Do you remember that? I was doing like yeah. type in shit. Nobody spoke. Translate. It. Can you fuck it? Just do it. <laughs> you get the drawing, stick it on, just do it. Um, yeah, that, that whole experience was awesome. But then I did my first post and I, I'm looking through comments and then I re- like, they're all positive and they're all my buddies. And cause of my followings, 13 people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I get to Michael, uh, Shea and he go, he said like, where's the, um, you know, bikini RTD thing. <laughs> I'm going to put that one out. Maybe that's the next picture. When I, I took have it, it in my phone. <laughs> I might post it for you. There's so many more though. Like that whole drone flag they, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like when those come out, I might actually regret some of my decisions. It's, it's gold. You need to utilize. 
truly looks like I'm ass naked, but such an awesome experience. But I love the man, just, just since I've known you, you started competing in jujitsu yep. and what I'm trying to get at is I admire understanding your lineage and where you started because I, I think the only one of the only units in the army that having worked in uh, Ramadi and been in and out of Fallujah from Ramadi and seeing the Marines that, and the force guys, there was always a little bit of a common respect mm. because Marines are Marines, man. And that, that commands a certain amount of respect. And when you'd see them interact with other units, it's like, no, we're Marines, like fuck off. Mm. But coming from Ranger Battalion, I felt a mutual respect, even if it's in passing in the chow hall or wherever. So coming from that similar lineage and then this, this very similar story of self-awareness and then seeing Mike, the Mike Clancy, the Michael Fancy Clancy, or is it Fancy Clancy? Fancy Schmancy Clancy. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Fancy Schmancy Clancy, you know, having a fantastic time in Panama and then getting competitive in jujitsu and finding that drive and that passion and that addiction is something that's super positive that has a fantastic community around it, which you brought your professors in, mm-hmm. you know, yesterday. Um, I just think it's awesome, man. Yeah, dude. Um, that's another whole nother conversation. Jiu-Jitsu is like an amazing therapy, amazing tool, amazing, whatever you want to call it, workout. For me, it's very spiritual. Um, I can see myself changing and becoming better and more relaxed, more calm. The, when you, if anybody's out there and they're just starting or the, if they have started, they can remember the time that they're a white belt and very spazzy and they're, they're gripping really tight and, and just doing things very fast. And because that's what all they knew, they just knew how to just use their muscles. And when you can transition and you start learning how to control your body and getting a awareness of yourself and calm under these really stressful situations when someone takes your back and trying to choke you and being a, a combat vet or someone that doesn't like being choked out or like whatever the case, nobody likes being choked out. Mm-hmm. Um, it over time you get, you have a thousand of these happen to you and a thousand different situations of being uncomfortable and weird positions when someone's on top of you and choking you out and smothering you. And you're just exhausted. There, there is a calmness that you get where you, you know, you've been in this situation before. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big deal anymore. The spiritual side of that is just, is, is growing and, and finding peace under the most extreme and uncomfortable positions. And that, uh, that spills over into every day. Just like things that would normally bother me don't. People that would normally upset me don't. Situations that I feel, used to feel like I would get stressed out or uncomfortable in, I don't because I now for the most part have control of the situation. Mm-hmm. If it got to a place where it was not, uh, you know, it got physical or some, whatever the case sure. may be. Um, but it just gives you this calmness and this, in this um, confidence that I don't know if you can truly get it anywhere else because there's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being in those situations going day in and day out and going to class and, and, and sparring every day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I 100% think 
everybody should do it yeah. or some sort of martial art. It, uh, it, it just, there's another family out there. There's, there's a sense of pride out there. You, you gain all this confidence, all this knowledge. Um, and it's a great workout and, and you know, you can fucking choke people out and break their arms and break their legs. I mean, it's nothing better for me. You get, you get strangled yeah. people. Yeah. Oh my God. I keep, I keep on to go, Oh man, with some sweet tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our friend we met in Panama. Have y'all had the sweet tea? Uh, so the other day, I don't know why I feel like I need to say this, but my neighbor called me up. Did I tell you this story? Mm. And, uh, He's a firefighter dude. He works with, you know, like some of my buddies and whatnot. And he's dating this girl. They live together. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, are you around? And I said, yeah. He goes, there's two Russian dudes showed up at my house. Now, I called to get my dryer fixed. It's a rental, I guess. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that till then. Um, he said, but they're in an unmarked car. They don't have uniforms. They have... You know, my girlfriend asked for like, who are you with? Where are you from? And they said, we're here to fix the dryer. We find heating element. We take out, we put new, and then you're good. I don't know who you are yeah. or what you want. She just went, hey, I'm uncomfortable. So she stood outside. They went in as she's trying to establish, you know, some bona fides for who these people are. He calls me up. He's like, are you around? And I go, yeah. He goes, you mind going and checking this out? And I thought... <laughs> I'd love to, because I'm hoping it goes all kinds of sideways. Getting a little scrap upstairs with two Russians, maybe I get to choke somebody out. Anyway, it's funny <laughs> shit. All right, man. Um, thank you for telling your story. And as your friend, I admire where you're at and where you're going. And still being in and being fresher out of certain places, I appreciate you talking to me about this shit. And I appreciate you coming out and putting it in this like public forum yeah, because I think it's super important for people to realize that there are different modalities of treatment and there are super wickedly healthy outcomes. And a lot of those have tons of science behind them now. So it's like, you know, go discover what it is that could work for you. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of haters out there that are like, Oh, dude, Fuck you're, you're oh just, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're just getting high. Uh, but you know what? Doesn't matter what situation this that medicine, whatever it is, if it's jujitsu, if it's, if it's psychedelics, I mean, finding something that's positive, that makes you a better person, who the fuck cares, right? Yeah. It made me, in, in my opinion, made me a better person and it still does. So yeah, I mean, there's haters out there that they, they don't believe in it and they, you know, think you should just bottle this shit up and be a man and, and suck it the fuck up. And no, fuck that. off. You know, that's, that's one way of going about it. It doesn't work. Not it for It doesn't me. work. Yeah. You know, and we can, it, it, that's proven time and time again that it doesn't work. Having an outlet, having a healthy out, outlet that that doesn't destroy yourself and destroy your family and and, and destroy your relationships, mm -hmm. to me, that's that's you know that's the goal, man. Yeah, man, that's super rad. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate you. Woo. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Drum titties, boy!